0: Reading our Bibles regularly can be a challenge, but we're all on this journey together. We're praying that this podcast inspires you, helps you better understand God's Word, and builds your faith. This is Join the Journey with your host, Emma Dodder. Thanks for joining today. We are reading 1 Kings 18 in the battle between Elijah and Baal. Reminded me of a very memorable football game. Back in 2018, Texas A&M my alma mater. Beat. LSU 74-72 at Kyle Field and College Station for their first win over the Tigers since 1995. This set an NCAA FBS record for the most points scored in a single game and tied an NCAA record for playing in seven overtime periods. It was such an iconic game. Tensions were high. People were on the edges of their seats as they watched the score go back and forth and back and forth, wondering Who would win the game? And in today's Bible reading, we read a story many Christians have heard before that great battle between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. Who will win? You could feel the tension in the air. As we read this story, it's as if it was a movie. The music's building. Is the winner of this battle going to be the prophets of Baal or Elijah and his God? I can see it playing out. What? story. And as Christians who are familiar with it, it isn't just one to simply pass over and skim because we're familiar with it. So often we can get caught doing that with familiar stories. Rather, I want to challenge us to notice some of the eccentric and quotable statements from the passage. Look at, let's look at a few together. First up, we have Ahab saying to Elijah in verse 17, is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab essentially is boldly calling Elijah the nation's troublemaker. And here's the catch. Ahab's comment was a jab at Elijah, but an accusation with no backing. Elijah is not the troubler of Israel. On the contrary, Ahab is a true troubler of Israel because he has turned to other gods. Elijah is determined for Israel to turn from trouble to the Lord. One commentator puts it this way, Ahab sees Elijah as the pronouncer of God's judgment, as the cause of the nation's trouble but elijah rightly answers that ahab who has turned to other gods is the true troubler of israel don't be deceived by comments from the unwise additionally for all you bible scholars out there who love looking up the greek and hebrew words the hebrew word for trouble is actually a kar, akar a k a r and it is only used a handful of times in the bible see 1 samuel 14:29 and joshua 6:18 6, 8, 6, when used in the bible Other stories make it clear that much is at stake in discussions about who has truly troubled Israel. And the same is happening here. Knowing who actually troubles Israel is paramount, and it's Ahab. The next noteworthy quote is from verse 21, where Elijah calls out the prophets of Baal, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Elijah's desire for the people of Israel was not just for them to turn back to the Lord because the Lord is God. It was also for their flourishing. Following God and living His way is key to human flourishing. By following God and Baal, the people weren't living optimally. They were, theoretically speaking, walking with a limb. The irony here is that later on in the chapter, the prophets of Baal do physically what they've been doing spiritually— they limp around the altar as a sign of worship. The third quote, which really is the funniest in the lineup, comes from verse 27, where Elijah claims the god Baal is way too busy to listen to the cries of the prophets. He says, cry aloud for he is a god. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. There's nothing more disrespectful than someone saying, is your god listening or is he in the bathroom? Elijah's confidence in God's power is clearly seen in his mockery of the prophets of Baal. What is devastating here is that while this quote is funny, the prophets of Baal genuinely believed that their God was real. They believed that limping about, cutting themselves, and crying out would make him listen. But instead, they were mocked and publicly exposed for their belief in a false God. The last quote, and my favorite for today— is in Elijah's cry aloud for God to move in power. Elijah says, I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That's verses 36 and 37. Why does Elijah want God to do this miracle and sign? Why does he want the prophets of Baal to be put to shame? For the people to know who God is. It is with the most notable of intentions that Elijah prays for God to move. And this should be the heartbeat of believers today. We ask God to move in power in our lives, the lives of our friends, the lives of our neighbors. Why? That people may know God. The great passage of scripture lies in Deuteronomy 4. It's Moses talking to the people of Israel, reminding the new generation of their heritage as slaves in Egypt and now as partakers in God's covenant. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 4 verses 32 through 35. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on this earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no one beside him. Why did God show signs and wonders to the people of Israel back in the day? Well, it was so that they would know that he is the Lord God and that there is no other God besides him. Why did Elijah want to defeat the prophets of Baal? that the people would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Why did Elijah want to defeat the prophets of Baal? That the people would know that he is the Lord God and there is no one like him. So often we can pray for God to move in great power in our lives. Say things like, God, Would you you heal me or would you heal my marriage? Would you bring my prodigal home? Would you move in the life of my, my brother, my family? Would you bless us financially, bless us professionally? But what is our motive? May we be a people whose motive when we ask God to move is such that we would ask God to move so that he might make himself known. Might we be a people who desire to more clearly see God ourselves so that we can show others clearly that he alone is God and no one else is like him. Now, all of that said, there's something else in this chapter that we have to discuss in today's episode. If you've been following along in the journals, it's printed at the bottom of the page, and it's this verse. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. What does it mean for the hand of the Lord to be on someone? Or specifically, what does it mean that the hand of the Lord was on Elijah? Well, the first phrase, the hand of the Lord, this concept of God's hand being on people, is seen throughout scripture. All throughout the Bible, we see this. And there can be a myriad of different reasons why we find the hand of the Lord on someone or something. It could be a group of people, a specific person, or even animals. Sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's bad. In Exodus 9, we see the hand of the Lord being on all the cattle and livestock of Egypt, resulting in the death of all these animals. God's hand was on the cattle to enact punishment on Egypt for not letting Israel go. We see the hand of the Lord again in Joshua 4. Joshua crossed the Jordan River with the people of Israel. They'd wandered for 40 years and now finally are walking in victory into the promised land. Joshua built the altar of remembrance and then followed this building project with why this great miracle is important. Joshua said in in Joshua 4 verse 24, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that they might fear the Lord our God forever. So why was that miracle performed? To show that God's hand is mighty. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1.3 shows that the hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel the prophet before he gives one of the most uh, elaborate and complex prophetic messages in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, we see the hand of the Lord in enacting judgment, showing power, and it's on people, individuals who speak. So what does this mean for Elijah? Elijah. First of all, during this time period, it was common for people in the Middle East to be capable of running long distances. For our modern audience, running around 16 miles in two days with no training is very impressive. One commentary concludes that the impressive nature of the run was not the distance, but rather the speed, specifically because it says that he beat King Ahab to the city of Jezreel. This means that Elijah ran faster than a man riding in a chariot. Right here in 1 Kings 8, 1 Kings 18, excuse me, it's super speed. I don't know how fast your mile time is. Mine isn't anything impressive. I'm confident none of us are running that fast. This was a supernatural run, a supernatural work of God to help Elijah, getting him from one place to another very, very quickly. If anything, this supernatural power of God enabling him to run faster than a chariot was another example of God's power versus the power of Baal. If the killing of the prophets and God raining down fire wasn't enough, an uncharacteristically fast man may have been the final proof of God's power, specifically God's power in and through Elijah. Ahab may have had a chariot of iron, but Elijah ran with the power of the Lord. Again, remember, he ran this supernatural run after calling a challenge, mocking some false prophets, building an altar, calling on God to move, watching God bring fire, killing 450 false prophets, and then running. Not just running, sprinting. Talk about a miracle. So as we conclude, what does this mean for us today? Well, God can do miracles and supernatural things any day and any time. Who are we to say that he could not move in that way? He is God and we are not. He performed miracles all throughout the Old Testament whenever we wanted. And here in today's text, we're able to see a miracle in the form of a supernatural, super speed run to prove the point that the Lord is God and no one else is is. We don't know for sure why exactly God gave him such a supernatural ability, supernatural ability or what the main reason was behind the strength to run, but we do know that the miracle is credited to God because it doesn't say, in his own strength, Elijah ran to Jezreel, but rather, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab. Remember, the object of our faith is what says the most about our faith. And the object of Elijah's faith was his faith in the one true living God. And everything he did, everything God used Elijah to do, evidenced his faith in that God. That's all we have time for today. Special thanks to our Watermark Institute fellow, Hannah Stobbs, for helping with today's podcast. And as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. The Join the Journey podcast is produced by Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. You can learn more about Watermark by connecting with us on social media. Just search Watermark Church, all one word. And to read along with us, visit jointhejourney.com. And thank you guys for listening.